You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the LA International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in LA since 1989. Uh, good morning, everybody. My name's John Aranio. I think a few of us know me here. Um, I'm about a 30-year-old Christian, and uh, about 18, 19 years ago, I went to the Philippines for the first time. And um, fast forward, um, I now have... Um, a wife, beautiful wife and child that are back there. But along the way, I had the opportunity to, um, uh, God has given us the opportunity to help a lot with uh, Hope Worldwide in the Philippines, and uh, it's been a great blessing. And um, I wanted to uh, introduce a brother today. His name's uh, Jerry Tonell. That's Jerry right here. And, uh, and he's from a little island in the Philippines called Aklan, and he, uh, with one, yeah, you'll notice around Filipinos, I think you'd, they'll connect with this. Um, when you bite once, about six or seven come, right? So his family's back here from, all came all the way down from Fresno. So, uh, one thing I wanted to, Jerry's a great brother. When you talk about feet on the ground and just, um, really helping people. So, uh, we asked Jerry to share about really how uh, the work of hope and the building of the church uh, really, it's really all in the same when you go there. So, um, you know, it's great to, to see this in action and really what faith really is. And, and um, so I give you Jerry Tonell. All right. Good morning. Uh, I'm so honored and privileged to be able to see my spiritual family here on this other side of the world. And uh, also, I'm grateful that uh, my family as well from Fresno, that's from my uh, dad's side, and also my aunt from my mom's side that I haven't seen for 26 years. So they are all here. I think the... the <clears throat> I think the good thing about it is that when you are a total stranger in a place, they just have to accompany you where, where, where are you going. So I thank them for that. And uh, yes, I'm Jerry and I'm from uh, the Philippines. And uh, I would like to uh, share something about what we do. All right. So by the way... Uh, I work for Hope Worldwide Philippines, and at the same time, uh, me and my wife are leading a small church of eight disciples from the province of Baklan. And uh, yeah, by the way, last year we turned 25 years as an organization. And we can't do it without your prayers, your love, and support for our work in the Philippines. And uh, by the way, we have five major programs and services. Uh, the protection program that uh, houses abused children and at the same time uh, gives a treatment and uh, healing for those children recovering from abuse. And we also have uh, teach children in schools how to protect themselves against child sexual abuse. Uh, we do have as well the education uh, we have six uh, six centers uh, that serve uh, 60 uh, children each from the different areas in the Philippines. And it also includes the uh, child 
uh, sponsorship program uh, where Tad uh, sponsored one child and she graduated actually last year and uh, she's also a disciple. And we also had the health and nutrition program. Uh, this uh, we we uh, feed uh, children uh, from those uh, six centers and also from uh, the different parts of the Philippines that um, uh, identified with uh, severe uh, malnutrition uh, from those uh, communities. And also, we do respond to uh, disasters. Uh, we do at uh, teach children at uh, type on preparedness, and uh, at the same time, we also uh, capacitate or uh, do training with the churches uh, in the provincial uh, provinces. And we're grateful that, you know, as I said, we have a bigger spiritual family, and every time there's a big disaster, I know you're always ready and willing to help. And I think some of you came there to serve and uh, volunteer. And we also have the family and uh, community development program that uh, offers services to help families with their livelihood, but at the same time uh, to help uh, families uh, regarding the uh, parent uh, effectiveness service where uh, our staff uh, gives um, classes about parenting, about marriage, about finances, and about relationship. And later on, I'm going to share about the fruit of that uh, classes. And uh, by the way, these are the highlights from last year. Uh, we were able to uh, educate uh, more than 2,000 children uh, against abuse and also trained uh, more than uh, 300 adults uh, about uh, child abuse prevention. Uh, we were able to uh, reach survivors of abuse, uh, around uh, 40 uh, children, and also uh, held uh, classes to 300 uh, parents uh, in one uh, whole year and also we were able to serve 5,500 uh, uh, meals uh, with the children and we do respond to disasters uh, that catered to more than 7,000 uh, people and also we were able to give out uh, more than 360 uh, shoe boxes and I would like to thank you, because you are part of that project as well. And uh, by the way, this is the uh, map of the Philippines, and uh, currently we have uh, six centers in uh, seven locations. Uh, these three centers are in Luzon, and after the typhoon Haiyan, the big typhoon that hit the Philippines at uh, Last uh, 2013, uh, we were able to get funding and be able to uh, put up three more centers in Danbantay and Cebu, and also in Tacloban and in Ormoc. And, and this is where I live. But there's no physical structure yet, and uh, we're praying for that. And these were the areas that devastated by the typhoon. But we are grateful that God, uh, from that type on, God gave us the privilege to be able to put up three more centers. And without your support, these centers won't run and exist and, uh, you know, serve the communities. And what is the impact of our centers when it comes to the communities? 
Uh, we were able to str- strengthen actually the uh, two uh, churches, the Northern Cebu and the Tacloban churches, uh, because of the presence of uh, the Hope Stop uh, in the area. So from Manila, they moved uh, to these cities and helped the work of hope, but at the same time helped uh, the, the churches that we, are, we have there. And also we were able to uh, plant the church in Ormoc with these uh, two families, uh, the Reyes family and the Mendoza family. Uh, I'm so grateful that even if we have challenges or difficulties, God has been moving in a very different ways. Where we as a church or as disciples that we had a hard time, whether we would like to go on a mission or just stay in our comfort zone, but these uh, two families, they just moved their family from Manila and moved to the city, and they started the work of hope, and at the same time, they uh, started the church. And uh, also, uh, we're able to move to my hometown in Calibo, and we started it by me and my wife, and then another brother followed. Uh, but uh, the good thing about this is that uh, after a few months, my sister that I used to reach out during college, they did not respond. But when we started the church, she studied the Bible and she became a Christian. <clears throat> and after that, uh, my mom also regularly attending church. And all she thought that that's it. That's, that's enough. But yet, uh, we sat down and uh, opened the scripture. And we, and we shared the Matthew 7, the narrow road. And she understand, and she studied the Bible, and she also became a Christian. <clears throat> and, uh, yep, uh, the three centers of hope be- become, uh, became the venue for church services and gatherings. So they don't have a hard time now uh, looking for venues where they will worship. Because the Center of Hope became uh, the venues for worship and services. And also, uh, the uh, four preschool, uh, preschool teachers became disciples. And also, beneficiaries, parents from the Centers of Hope, uh, because of the classes that we've been doing, they also responded and became disciples. And at the same time, not only the parents, but also the beneficiaries. Uh, this one, his name is JC, one of the beneficiaries of the Shoebox Project and the Child Sponsorship Program, got baptized last December 2018. His mom is also a disciple, and two other teens uh, studied the Bible and became a Christian. And... For the span of uh, four years, more than 40 people got baptized through the work of Hope Worldwide. Uh, so I would like to leave you with this uh, scripture in uh, Matthew 9:35. It says that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Uh, we at Hope Worldwide Philippines, we are so grateful that we are able to follow the ministry, the very heart of Jesus, which is the ministry of great commission, 
He's reaching out to people and making them disciples, but at the same time, the ministry of great compassion, helping people, healing people. And for us, we have to do it in a way, the other way around, first to meet uh, the physical needs, the felt need, and then eventually meet the spiritual needs. So thank you so much for giving me the privilege to share with you what has been uh, we have what we have been doing in the Philippines. And uh, thank you so much and uh, mabuhay. What a treat. We got to meet Jerry in one of our trips, and I hope you can appreciate what he's saying. There's a lot happening there in a handful of slides. Um, you know, we ended up taking a trip there because of a crisis, this uh, hurricane, typhoon, Haiyan, which we called Yolanda. So we all have a Yolanda or a Haiyan in most of our families. And it wiped out. <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't even in my notes. Um, it uh, wiped out a lot of schools and villages and the whole thing. And um, so we just got to go and help clean up and be with the people. Our first trip was really just about cleaning up and be with the people. You just build such great relationships with people when you're there. And um, Jerry and KB are really special. And be praying for his wife, KB. She's had having some health challenges. So think of all you're trying to do to save the Philippines. <laughs> And you got some real health, you got some real health challenges. That's a great excuse to not share. That's a great excuse to not serve. And that's not their hearts at all. They're just really golden hearted people, super special. And I love seeing, um, Russell in there. He's the guy from Ormoc. We met in Tacloban and he's sort of driving us around. And I, I just, I'll never forget this. Russell, what do you want to do with your life? He says, well, I'd love to. I'd love to be in the ministry. I'd love to be an evangelist and, and plant a church. But I'm just a hope guy. I go, what does that mean? He goes, well, you got to plant the church first. That happens from the ministry people. And then the hope guys come later and try and set up some services for the people. And there's no plan to go to Ormoc. And I really want to go to Ormoc. And I go, well, I don't know. But we need more hope, guys. Don't stop being a hope guy. And it's, I think it's less than a year later, they've done a great thing, and it reminds me of what the Sheikh's doing in Nigeria. They build these community centers. And there's no people. You just have a place. And guess what starts to happen? You build it, and they will come. So you got after-school program. you got a church service. you got tutoring. you got safe place for kids to go. you got some classes. And people start coming. And they're there, and they're having church services, and people are getting baptized. And so you, you make a call to the ministry center, Manila. Well, what do we do? Well, we don't have any ministry guy that's ready. Bro, you just got to keep leading the church. And they've done great, and it's become a great model in the Philippines. But I think it really speaks to all of our hearts, too. We got to hope, which is serving people. And ministry, helping people become Christians and grow up, they got to work great together. They're always working together, amen? And so I always think about Deshaik again and what he's doing. And God's going to bless your efforts, Deshaik. You're going to have a great thing in Nigeria that I think is going to be sort of something like this. And it'll be miraculous. And stuff's going to happen that none of us planned on, but the Holy Spirit's going to move because you're there. 
And that's a lot of what the Christian has to do. What do you know? Well, we're usually sort of insecure about what we don't know. Just show up. And when the Christians show up, usually great things happen. That's all the Holy Spirit really needs is for you to show up. So I'm just so encouraged by the Filipinos, uh, Jerry KB. Uh, it's great having his family here with us. Again, one more round of applause. Jerry's going back tomorrow to the Philippines to save the Philippines. Bro, do a great job. <laughs> okay, uh, we're doing a series called Unleashed, and we're trying to get us really going into Easter in a great way. Thinking about the resurrection. Thinking about hope. Thinking about change. We don't want to get to Easter and, oh yeah, by the way, it's Easter. The most powerful thing in our faith is the idea of resurrection and our ability to change. I want to say a quick thing. I Thank you for the prayers. Last week, uh, I was running the marathon exactly at this time. And uh, I got a lot of I got a lot of well wishes. I really appreciate that. But I really want to lift up uh, Linda Herrera. She's back here. She ran the race. And her eighth grade daughter Maya. So I don't know what you were doing in eighth grade, but that was awesome. A mom daughter running the marathon. I uh, what a memory. They'll never forget that. They'll never forget that. So I was with you in spirit. Twenty five thousand people. I don't know where you were, but I kept thinking about you guys being out there. Um, on mile two, I was cursed by the Baptists. You know, the guys that have their signs. And a guy looks right at me. He's got his signs. He says, you're running straight to hell. Way to go. Should I be applauding you on your way to hell? And he sort of cursed me and went on, and I thought, boy, that's not really encouraging. <laughs> I got 24 more miles to go. And then I just finish in hell. It's not the mindset that I was looking for. And that <laughs> kind of sticks with you a little bit. Kind of sticks with you a little bit. But on mile six, there's a guy giving out free chili dogs. That's always sort of funny. <laughs> but I don't know if you saw him, Linda. There was, there was this group, and there was, there was a priest. And he had on his robes, and he had a little sign, um, you know, for blessing. And I go, hey, yo! <laughs> and he gave me, I don't know, he's a Catholic. He gave me, I don't know which way you go. I got one of these. And, and I put my head down, you know, and I got some holy water. I go, thank you. I feel a lot better. I feel a lot better. So I don't know where I ended up spiritually at the end of the race. But I feel like I at least broke even. Got one curse. I got one blessing. A lot of life, isn't it? It's a lot of life right in there. It's a lot of life right in there. So I want us thinking a little bit about our curses, our blessings, our race that we're in to get to heaven, our race that we're in for our city, our race that we're in for our families. 
And I want to make a quick note. Of course, last month, let's uh, always be really mindful about who we're trying to honor. And last month we was African American History Month, and this month is Women's History Month, right? And these are two women that I've become familiar with. On the right is Inez Proser, and she's the first African American woman psychologist. So she's from Texas, and they wouldn't let her into any schools, right? So she went to Indiana. Indiana let her in, and she became a doctor and stayed there and taught as a professor. And our second one over here on the left, she's from Arkansas but went to Texas, and that's Mammy Phipps. And she's a remarkable woman. Probably many of you are familiar with the research project of the dolls. So she did this research project with the dolls. She's the one that came up with this probably in the early 1930s, I believe it is. And it's a study that's supposed to um, show our implicit, you have implicit values and explicit values. And she's trying to show how racism is in our culture and how it becomes an unconscious thing in our culture. And so she, had, in Texas, you had white kids, African-American kids, and Hispanic kids, and you'd bring out dolls of all different colors, and you ask the kids what they, uh, what kind of attributes they assign to the dolls. Of course, the white kids are sort of drawn to the white dolls, and we like them. They're a little bit better. And the big surprise of this research was the, the children of color, the African-American kids and the Hispanic kids, also chose the dolls that were white. And said, well, they're pure, and they're better, and... That's who we need to want to be like, and they uh, didn't feel good about their own color or shade of dolls. That's really significant. That's super important. Because what you believe about yourself, 100% is going to influence what you do with your life. And this research was just done maybe five years ago. It's about priming, and I thought this was really interesting. I think I shared this about a year ago. Um, who do you think of that's really good in math? Um, Asians or um, Canadians? <laughs> Asians. We just associate Asians with being good with math. Who do you think, gender, who do you think is um, better at math, men or women? Yeah, okay, good. We've got some honesty out there. Uh, but gender-wise, I think we sort of normally sort of think, oh, well, uh, math, that's, you know, guys. So they bring in these Asian women, and they prime them, group one. We give them a lot of gender symbols about being a woman. Uh, cooking, cleaning, caretaking. And they take a math test. And they underperform. And you take the same group and you give them a lot of uh, images about being Asian. Chinese symbols and samurai warrior and I don't know what the... Sushi, I don't know what they give. I don't know what they show them. <laughs> and the same group of women overperform because they're reminded of being Asian. And that there's a belief. Is it true? No, it's just, it's just stereotyping. But it becomes a belief about who you are as a person. Who do you believe you are as a person? Who do you believe you are as a person? Last week, um, Jack Goldberg died. I'm sorry, two weeks ago. And I was 
um, in the hospital room there with DeShake and Fernando and Jackie and Tom McCurry, some of our old West people, and um, a handful of other people to shake. I don't remember them all, but this is a good picture that shows Erica Gold. She met Jack, and that's his wife, Jack and Bridget, and that's him getting baptized, and it's a big story. Jack was a wonderful man and a great Christian. And he had a radical conversion that changed his life, that changed what he believed about himself and what his life was all about. And I tell you, when you're in the room with somebody as they die... It changes you. It changes you. I was holding Jack's arm literally the moment he passed. You don't think about your problems the same way at that moment. Your story feels really different. And your stressors have a whole different sort of resonance and flavor to them. Uh, this man you don't know, he's from San Diego. That's Rudy. Rudy's a brother in the San Diego church, and he was in a car crash last week, and he died. Uh, I think two weeks ago. And he's, um, those are his two boys. And Rudy's remarkable. He's had a divorce, and he's kind of been in and out of the church. He's just very much a Peter, though. Never, n- never, um, just, just sort of living out loud. Oh, I'm not doing good. I, I need a lot of help. Just sort of a Peter. But I, I love God and I'm trying to do right and i got to figure out how to change. And he just always approached me and this is what I'm working on and I had a terrible week and I just own it. This is just sort of where I'm at. And his spirit, I'll always remember that about him, but his race is over. And another brother, Roderick, was in the car with him and another two people died in the car crash. I believe four people died in the car crash. Life's fragile. So fragile. So fragile. Let me ask you a question. What's the most honest thing about you right now? What's the most honest thing about you right now? I want you to think about that. What's the most honest thing about you right now? We have to think about this because I, I, I became a Christian at 19, college students, and it really helped me. Boy, I was really depressed. I was really self-destructive. I was going through a lot of things. I came out of a bad relationship, didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, um, knew a little bit about the Bible, but really nothing, and um, I felt like my first year of being a Christian was kind of just faking it. I wasn't really very honest because I didn't think people around me could handle it. I never learned how to be honest. I think you have to learn how to be honest. But you don't learn how to be honest unless you practice being honest. So I used to come to church on Sunday and take communion and 10 brothers, how you doing? Great. And I would go home and I was still struggling with injuring myself. I'd cut myself with knives. And I'd never tell anybody that I was depressed, suicidal, and super self-destructive. How's it going? Uh, great. I couldn't be honest. And we have some husbands. They need to be honest about what's going on in their marriage and in their homes. You're afraid of being honest. And we have some wives that need to talk about what's going on in your home and what's going on with your kids. And there's a lot of fear around being honest. And we have some students that have some real challenges. And again, there's fear of being in trouble, fear of failing, fear of people knowing. But you have to deal with your fear and be honest. You're never going to change. 
There's some students that want to not look bad and not get in trouble at home and not get in trouble at school. But if you're not honest, you're never going to change and you'll only become shallowly religious. What a horrible place to be. What's, what's the most honest thing about you right now? Unleashed. We practice letting go and in the process we find peace. One's ability to grow is directly related to one's ability to let go of and die to toxic attachments. And that's helpful language for us, I think. Because we get attached to people and some of those relationships are toxic and we need to let them die. And we get attached to dreams and expectations for our lives. If I don't do this, I'll be a failure. Mom, dad, the church, coach won't like me. Those become really toxic to us. We have things in our past. We have some traumas. We have some defeats. We have some losses. And we can't let go of those things. And so we stay stuck. And Jesus comes along and He says, if you want to save your life, you have to lose it. Anybody that loses their life can save it. And I think this, I think dying to yourself, dying to your desires, dying to your expectations, dying to your entitlements, dying to your, I'm a male and this is what I deserve. I do that. Dying to, I'm a professional or I'm a woman and this is what I deserve. I'm an American and this is what I deserve. Uh, You're just setting yourself up for a lot of frustration. Dying to self is Christian currency. You're not going to go anywhere in the Christian life if you can't get really comfortable with dying to yourself. You gotta learn to love it. You gotta, you gotta smile when you find a thing that you've been holding on to that's holding your back and like, thank you God. Thank you God for showing me that. I need to let go of that thing so I can so I can live. So I can grow. But again, we're not honest. We're not humble. We'll never find those things. And again, we'll just be shallowly religious. I think honest and humility, that's the wallet that holds this currency of the Christian ability to die to ourselves. I really appreciate Stephen Carey being here. You know, at, at um, 50 years old, you're not thinking about selling your home and moving to the west side. That's not a good retirement plan. That's not how you retire in comfort right there. And, you know, you're right there at sort of the hump. You sort of, Maybe this is where we sort of coast home. They're not coasting home. You sort of die to comfort, move out here. And we love everybody, amen? I think we're pretty loving staff. But west side's a hard ministry. P- people are hard. They're working hard. Let's be praying for our leadership team because we're all trying to work hard with each other for each other and for the ministry because we believe in Jesus and a resurrected world and a resurrected home and resurrected lives. But it only you don't get to experience resurrection. Everybody wants to be resurrected, but you never experience it until you die. It's not a one-time thing. I, I, I studied the Bible and it was scary. And I broke up with my girlfriend and I stopped smoking pot and tried to stop cursing. And then I, and then I resurrected. Now here I am 20, 30 years later. It ha- it's supposed to happen every day. What do you need to be dying to? What's really honest about you? Dying to live. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life 
will save it. That's Luke 17, 33, what I just referenced. And I want to reference one other passage. Of course, we're familiar with this, John 12. But this is where we are right now. This, we've got so many seeds in the room. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Everybody's afraid of death. Nobody embraces death unless you're kind of on the antisocial, psychotic part of the spectrum. But we have to learn how to get really comfortable with it. When you get comfortable with dying to yourself, a whole world opens up for you. Ask yourself, ask God, ask your friends, what do you need to be dying to? Quick thought for you. You can't control your outcome, church people. You can't control your outcome. Everybody wants something good to happen, but you can't control the outcome. That's of God. Outcomes of God. But you can control your path. And so today when we talk about dying to self, we're dying a lot to ourselves, but we're also dying to our outcomes. But path, I think the Christian is very much in control of. That's not a good path. Some of us have been on that path before. But David says in Psalm 119, it was good for me to be afflicted. We all resist pain. Everybody hates pain. Dying to self is going to bring up some painful stuff for you. But David says, it was good for me to be afflicted. Pain. To be in some pain. So that I might learn your ways. There's no way forward unless you experience a little bit of pain in your life. Lean into this. Trust that God's going to grow you and expand you and use you. I want to give you just these little things to keep in mind when you think about Easter coming, when you think about being resurrected, when you think about where your life story is going. The fork, the knife, and the spoon. And you might be a student, you might be a professional, and you might be married, single, whatever. Where are you going? Well, you have to have a goal. That's your fork. That's what you're trying to stick your metaphorical life into. Okay, where are you going? Evaluate your goals. Evaluate your intentions. Be very intentional in your life. Don't just drift. Don't just, don't just try and please people around you or, or perform well. You have to have real goals or you're never going to be intentional in life. And like uh, Paul says to Timothy, we'll just be tossed back and forth. You have to be really intentional. You gotta have, you gotta have a spiritual fork in your life. And you have to have a, a spiritual knife. And again, the honesty and the humility to be able to say, I'm in some sin. And sins, right, we've got a big spectrum. And we've got it all in here. Amen, church? We've got real obvious sins. We've got people in some real obvious sins. We've got some addicts and we've got some people involved in bad sexual stuff. And we've got, we got all kinds of sins in here. And we've got the other side, the more quiet side. We've got a lot of self-righteousness too. We've got a lot of judgmentalism. We've got a lot of pride and ego. Which one's worse? It's all sin. We've got to cut it all out. Some of us, we've been around a long time. We're kind of drifting along. You've got to ask yourself, be honest. Are you really into this? Why are you here? What are you doing? Is it just about being self-righteous? Are you just checking in? You like your position in church? I wouldn't know what else to do if I didn't come here on Sunday morning. That's not a good reason to be here. You got to know what you're doing. This isn't about titles and power and hierarchy and control. Cut out self-righteousness. God's not going to use us that way. There are a lot of self-righteous religious people in the world. We don't want any more of those. 
But maybe we're in some bad sin. Okay, it's time to be honest. I've got to talk to somebody. That's embarrassing. It's hard to, hard, to, hard to admit this stuff that's going on in my life. That's my prayer for you. And that's my challenge, is to really be honest and deal with what's going on in yourself. Denial is going to kill you. Denial is going to kill you. And the best outcome you can hope for in denial is, is a shallow, hollow religious experience. And that's not why any of us are here. So we need the courage to move forward and be honest. And lastly, we need a spoon, a change spoon. And this is the thing we need more of. And you know what? Help, help is on its way. Help is a lot closer to you than you think it is. But you have to ask for it. I need more grace. I need more love. Maybe I need more time. You know, uh, couples, relationship. Maybe, maybe I, we need to start over again. Professionally, I need some help. What do you need more of? Again, a thing to be honest of, to talk about, to admit, and to organize your life around. Easter's going to come. We're not going to miss it. But you don't want to just show up and have a church service. You want to have a real resurrection in your life. And so be thinking about what you want to be changing and resurrecting and experiencing because we're trying to get more Holy Spirit in the church. Amen? And we're trying to get more resurrection in the church. Amen? And we're trying to get more community in the church. Amen? And right now, I'm a little bit like the Spartan guy at Thermopylae. And you guys are the Persians, and the food is behind us. I'm like trying to hold them back right now. So do I have my, do I have my song team? Okay, we're ready to come on up. Let's be praying about resurrection. Let's be praying about change. Let's be praying about the Holy Spirit moving our lives. Jerry, great having you. Arrhenios, God bless you. God bless the church. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.